I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 38 and 39 of Breaking Dawn, Power and the Happily Ever After, also known as The End of Breaking Dawn. We did it. We did it. We covered the whole saga together. It, it took three years, but we did it. Yeah, I'm still working on Midnight Sun. We've just started that over on the Patreon <laughs> at patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. But it, it doesn't really count. And that stupid short life of Brie Tanner or whatever the fuck that is, that doesn't really count. For the saga proper, this is it. And so that kind of gets me thinking that like, maybe this podcast will be ending soon. I started the pod in a COVID lockdown when I had a lot more free time on my hands. Now I've got still a lot of free time, but less free time. And I've sort of done what I set out to do. So this might be the end for the free feed. I might drop some old content in um, and do Midnight Sun on the Patreon feed and then see how I feel. And also, ugh, another factor in my decision making, um, the E.L. James estate is not happy with me. <laughs> There's been a few copyright infringement claims against me for just the Fifty Shades of Grey uh, content. So they've been taken down off of the feed. I might drop them onto the Patreon feed. I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble. If you're re-listening to those episodes and and they disappeared, soz. (laughs) But I got to do what I got to do to not get sued. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's where I'm at. Next week, we'll be looking at the Breaking Dawn movie part two, which I'm very excited about. And then who knows what the fuck's going to happen. But for now, let's bask in the breaking of the dawn. The dawn has broken and let's enjoy. So where we left off, they were still standing in a fucking field talking about this fight that's never going to (laughs) come. Like getting our hopes up that there's going to be this awesome battle. And then we come to chapter 38 power and no, it's not going to happen. And so do you remember how at the end of last chapter, she was feeling some like pressure against her shield? We pick up chapter 38 power with Edward saying, Chelsea is trying to break our bindings, but she can't find them. She can't feel us here. Are you doing that? And Bella's like, oh yeah, I am. I'm all over this. Okay. So I would have thought, Chelsea, her power is that she influences people. She either makes people feel a stronger bond or she cuts people's bonds to each other. I didn't realize that would be purely mental. I think Bella's shields is just a mental thing, but but apparently Chelsea's influencer power also doesn't work against Bella, nor anyone else because of her shield power. So Bella is very overpowered. 
It's like when you're playing a video game and you train yourself up too much that you just easily beat all the opponents. Like, you know, in Pokemon, it's like if you got a really good Pokemon really early and then you just beat all the trainers. That's sort of what she's like. She's way OP. And we've just retconned all vampire talents to be mental only. So the, the only vampires that actually can use their talents against Bella are like Jasper, Alice, and that's it? Dimitri? And then she's feeling some really sharp jabs against her shield. And that's Jane just full on trying to use her crucio power against everybody. And Edward knows because he can read Jane's mind uh, that, yeah, she's using that power against Carlisle, but Carlisle doesn't feel anything. And he's like, oh my God, Bella, you're killing it. And he also explains that this is normal procedure for the Volturi. They usually incapacitate people who are on trial so that they can't escape while they're making their decision. And now Bella is just getting super smug and she flashes a smile at Jane being like, yeah, bitch, I'm shielding them. Just really gloating. And then like Jane is pissed off and she's squinting her eyes at her and she's feeling a stab of pressure against the shield. So obviously Jane's really trying to to make Bella feel pain. And Bella's like, tough tits, it's not working, doll. And like Vladimir and Stefan, the Romanians, they're laughing. They're like, oh God, this is fun. Stefan's like, look at that witch. She's rattled. (laughs) They're laughing. They're having a great day. So then Alec, he pats Jane on the shoulder and he's like, all right, time for me to do my bit. And he like rolls up his sleeves metaphorically. And Bella's like, oh my God, is it working? Is it working? And Edward says, not just yet. His talent is slower than Jane's. It creeps. God. All right. So his talent where he incapacitates people, it, it, it comes out of him like a fog like a mist. So it's a mist that's traveling like over the field that they're in. I don't, I don't understand why this talent needs a physical manifestation a la fog. But yeah, okay. We've got fog coming off of Alec. And so now she's all freaked out being like, oh no, whatever gets through my shield. So she pushes her shield out. Remember last week she was saying how her shield clings to the people like cling film. Now she's pushing it out back into a dome shape because she's worried about the mist. And then the mist just travels along the field, just slow and boring, and then hits the shield and doesn't penetrate it. So apparently that physical mist also doesn't break through the mental shield. I don't understand it. If it's purely mental, why is there a physical manifestation? (sighs) So when the mist doesn't break the shield, everyone's gasping on both sides of the field. And Benjamin's like, good job, Bells. And she's like, yeah, you know, little something I've been working on. And all the Volturi are looking at Bella being like, this fucking nuisance. We've got to take her out. And she's like, oh no, I'm the number one priority for them when they start a physical attack, which they could do now. They killed Irina in two microseconds flat. So I don't know why they can't just jump over and kill Bella right now, but no. So she's like, they're going to pounce on me. I need to concentrate on my shield power. I can't be distracted with actually fighting. Edward says, I'll protect you. And she says, no, you have to go and get Dimitri. I'll get Zafrina to keep them away from me. So now it's Zafrina's job to be Bella's personal bodyguard. I don't know if Zafrina signed up for that, but she was like, all right, yeah, okay. I'll protect you. And then Kate's like, right, well, I'm going to get Jane. Vladimir's like, I'm going to get Alex. They're all calling dibs on who they're going to kill, even though the battle's never going to happen. Tanya's like, I want Caius. And everyone's like, oh, all right, that'd be a good little matchup. So then Arrow's like, all right, well, before we vote, uh, let me just remind you all, whatever the council's decision, there need be no violence here. And like Edward's laughing, being like, yeah, right, Arrow, I can read your fucking mind, bro. So Arrow says, let us vote. And Kaya says, the child is an unknown quantity. 
There is no reason to allow such a risk to exist. It must be destroyed along with all who protect it. And I'm like, yeah, makes sense. He's spitting facts. I don't know why we're so anti-Caius. Yeah, he killed Arena. Yeah, he wants to kill all the Cullens, but I'm on his side. I don't think they should let Renesme live. There, I said it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Kill the demon spawn. And bored old Marcus, he's just like, eh. He says, I see no danger. The child's safe enough. We can always reevaluate later. Like, let's leave. Let's, let's get out of here. So their votes cancel each other out. I guess that never really mattered anyway. And it all comes down to Arrow. And then Edward, he gets a little spring in his step and he's like, oh yes. And everyone's like, okay, why are you cheering? But it's because I think he can now hear Alice's mind because Alice is back, but he doesn't want to let on yet. So he goes, oh, Arrow, um, just, just a little, uh, little clarification I need on just one point. And Arrow's like, uh, okay. I was about to give my verdict, but sure. What do you want to bring up? He says, well, okay, so the danger you see with my daughter, right? That's just from our inability to guess how she'll develop. Like, that's the big deal, yeah? And Ara's like, yeah, I guess, yeah. If we could be positive, if we could be sure that she grows, that she'll be able to stay concealed from the human world, not endanger the safety of our obscurity, then yeah. And Edward's like, okay, so if only we could know for sure, right? And Ara's like, yeah, I guess if there was some way that we could be absolutely sure, then yeah, there'd be no question. I don't know how Arrow, who's supposed to be an intelligent character, doesn't see that he's being set up because Edward keeps clarifying and he's like, so it'd be fine, right? If, if we knew what a future would be like. And he's like, yes, we'd be fine. Edward's like pressuring him to put it on the permanent record, which clearly just seems like a setup. And he keeps going and he's like, okay, so we would then part in peace and be good friends. And oh my God, Arrow's like, yes, for fuck's sake, I've said it. Yes, yes, if we could find out what her future would be, but she's completely unique. Her future can only be guessed at. And Edward goes, up, 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 up. He says, she's not absolutely unique. She's rare, but she's not one of a kind. And so then everyone's like, what? Like it's a Jerry Springer. Everyone's like, what, what? Everyone's talking amongst themselves. And Edward says, Arrow, could you just call off Jane? She keeps trying to attack my wife while we're talking. <laughs> and Arrow's like, okay, Jane, cut it. Like it doesn't work anyway, Jane. Stop wasting all your energy, Jane. So then Edward's like, oh, and Alice, how about you come and join us? And then everyone in the crowd just repeats Alice's name. And for some reason, Stephanie Meyer has to put that in print. Cause then it goes, Alice, Esme whispered in shock. Alice, exclamation mark. Alice, 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 exclamation mark. Alice, other voices murmured. Alice, 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 Arrow breathed. She says Alice like 58 fucking times. And it's like, okay, we get it. Alice is back. I never really thought she'd abandoned you guys. That was, that was so silly to think that. And now it's like, surprise. She never actually abandoned her family that she loves. And it's like meant to be a huge twist. Uh, but just like Alice, I saw that coming. So then Alice and Jasper start running through the forest. All the Volturi witnesses are like, oh, who's this now? They're like, oh God, not another one. And behind Alice are three strangers. One of them is Kachiri, the other Amazonian vampire. Bella says because she's, she's a muscular female with wild dark hair and elongated limbs. Okay. So that's obviously Kachiri. Couldn't be anyone else. And then there's a small olive toned female vampire and a young man. His skin was an impossible rich duck brown and he had long black braided hair and he was beautiful. And he had a heartbeat and everyone's like, what the what? He's got a heartbeat. So Alice comes up to camp. Bella sends the shield around him just, you know, automatically. 
And as they cross that invisible shield, she says the brawny ones of the Volturi, Felix and the others like him, focused their suddenly hopeful eyes on Bella. She says they had not been sure of what my shield repelled, but it was clear now that it would not stop a physical attack. As soon as Arrow gave the order, the blitz would ensue me the only object. So she's like, oh, now they know people can get into the shield. They know that they can physically harm me. And it's like, I thought it was an invisible barrier. So how do they fuck? How the fuck do they know that they've just gone through the shield? Unless the mist is still like hitting up against an invisible wall. I don't, uh, you'd think she'd pull back the shield to just cling against their bodies again, because you wouldn't want them jumping over and coming inside of the shield. Cause then the shield's pointless. So keep that shield tight, Bells. So then Edward says, oh yeah, do you remember Alice? She's been searching for her own witnesses these last few weeks and she does not come back empty handed. And he says, Alice, why don't you introduce the witnesses you've brought? He's really show ponying about this, Edward, isn't he? And Caius is like, oh, no, no more witnesses. We've, We've done that. But Arrow's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, sure. And so Alice steps forward and she says, this is Hulin and her nephew Nahul. And so Hulin speaks and she says, I am Hulin, the woman announced in clear but strangely accented English. Why is it strange that she has an accent, Bella? Like, she's always spun out as soon as someone has an accent. She's like, whoa, you don't sound like you're from Seattle. So Hulin says, a century and a half ago, I lived with my people, the Mapuche. My sister was Pyre. Our parents named her after the snow on the mountains. Blah, blah, fucking blah. She was beautiful. And then one day she came to me in secret and told me of the angel that found her in the woods, AKA some vampire that wanted to bang her. And Hewlin was like, don't go bang him. Don't go bang the angel. She thought it was the Libeshaman of their legends, but the pretty sister, she, she wouldn't listen. She was bewitched. And so then she got knocked up. Pyre, that is. Pyre got knocked up and she had the dark angel's child growing inside her. And Hewlin that whole time's like, oh no, this is going to be a big deal. And then the demon angel, he, he ditches her. He knocks her up and then he leaves town, which is just, you know, like too common. Like, oh, we've all been there. We've all been there, Pyra. And so then she loves the child. She doesn't want to get rid of the child. She named him Nahul after the jungle cat. But when he grew strong and broke her bones... She still loved him, so he hasn't been born yet. And then the child ripped his way out of her and she died. Oof. (laughs) See, it could have been worse, Bella. Could have been worse. But before she died, she gave her dying wish to Hulin. And Hulin says, the baby then bit her when she tried to lift him out of the dead mother's body. And so she crawled away into the jungle to die. And then the newborn found her while she was turning into a vampire. And then they just, okay, a vampire's together. And she says, I cared for him until he was able to hunt for himself. We hunted the villages around our forest, staying to ourselves. Okay, so this is a venomous baby. I don't see the difference between a vampire and a human half-breed when this one's venomous and is going around killing villagers, drinking their blood. Like, I see the problem here still. And it made me think, remember when Nessie bit Bella as soon as she was born? I thought that was to turn Bella, but then it didn't get brought up again. I guess it's because Nessie's not venomous, but Nessie didn't know that. But Nessie had all these great intentions. And then, I don't know, maybe this Nahul had the same intention. I don't know. But he also ripped his way out of his mother's body. So I don't know if he had any um, 
And he's saying that, but remember how Edward was like, oh, Renesmee doesn't want to hurt you. Like Renesmee didn't have the intention whilst a fetus to hurt Bella. Oh, I don't know. It's also stupid. Anyway, still feels like it's a completely different scenario if he's venomous and she's not. But like if I were Alice and I was prepping Hulin to do this big speech, I'd be like, maybe leave the bit out where you said you killed all the villagers and that he bit you. Like maybe, maybe skirt around that bit. Maybe share a little half truth because yeah, it sounds like the vampire children that the Velturi came here to kill. So then Arrow says to Nahul, he's like, oh, so you're 150 years old. And he's like, yeah, give or take a decade. We don't keep track. And he says he reached maturity seven years after his birth. He was full grown after seven years and he's not changed since then. So, okay, then when that gets said, she says, I felt a shudder tremble through Jacob's body. I didn't want to think about this yet. I would wait till the danger was past and I could concentrate. So I don't know if Jacob's shuddering because he's relieved that Renesmee won't die in seven years or if she'll be a full-bodied woman that he could then bang. I don't know. I don't know. And so Arrow goes, well, you were able to create an immortal, so that's uh, not that different. And he says, yeah, but none of the rest can. And Arrow's like, the rest? And he says, oh, my sisters. And Arrow's like, all right, well, f- fill me in. What the, who, who are these sisters? You can't just drop something like that and not give us all the context. He's like, give me some backstory, Nahul. And Nahul goes, yeah, well, my father, he came looking for me a few years after my mother's death. He was pleased to find me. He had two daughters, but no sons. He expected me to join him as my sisters had. He was surprised I was not alone because my sisters are not venomous. And he says, but whether that's due to gender or a random chance, who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Apparently the female half-breeds aren't venomous. That seems to be the implication. Anyway, he says he wasn't interested in going off with his dad. He says, I see him from time to time. I have a new sister. She reached maturity about 10 years back. So this guy has spent the last 150 or so years knocking up people in South America, creating little vampire hybrid babies, killing who knows how many people, and no one had ever heard of it. No one had ever heard of it. You think the Volturi aren't keeping better tabs on the immortal life in the world? No, they're not. One or two little demon spawn vampire hybrids, I assume would be hard to keep track of, but there's a whole litter of them. And Kaya says, who is this guy? And Nahul goes, oh, his name's Johan. He considers himself a scientist. He thinks he's creating a new super race. Like, okay, like that's not a big deal we should be worried about. Again, were these people like witness tampered or trained? Like Alice. Maybe don't bring up the fact that a super race of hybrids are being created. Like, I don't think the Volturi want to hear that. And Kaya says, well, maybe let's uh, get rid of the aberration here and then follow it south. He's like, this doesn't sound good. But Arrow's like, meh. (laughs) Arrow is all of a sudden a good guy. He's like, you know what? Nah. He says, there's no danger here. It's an unusual development, but I see no threat. These half vampire children are much like us, it appears. It's like, yeah, well, I still don't think there should be vampires running around free in the world, especially ones that make a new super race. So Arrow just votes that they don't have to do anything. And Caius is like, well, can we at least track down this Yoham, this scientist? Like that, that sounds like we should probably get involved. And Arrow's like, yeah, we probably should. And Nahul says, stop Yoham if you will, but leave my sisters be, they are innocent. It's like, okay, do we, do we just take instruction from Nahul now all of a sudden? And Arrow nods and he's like, yeah, good point, Nahul. So, uh, All right, Nahul, 
is just the one we all listen to. I mean, he's completely beguiled the Volturi. So then Aris says, all right, all right, guys, guys, we don't fight today. Let's head off. And all the guards are like, okay. And they all just get out of their defensive positions. And Bella's like, wait, what? But yeah, then they just turn around, start to walk off. The Volturi witnesses scatter into the woods. And then Arrow held his hands out to them, apologetic. And he says, ah, oh, I'm so glad this could be resolved without violence. He says, Carlisle, oh, so glad we're friends again. I hope there are no hard feelings. Like, what? As if he wasn't just about to murder them all. As if he didn't just make them give testimony in a kangaroo court. He's like, ah, no hard feelings. And Carlisle's like, well, okay, leave in peace, but like a little hard feelings. And Ara says, well, perhaps in time you will forgive me. And Carlisle says, perhaps in time, if you prove a friend to us again, which, ooh, burn. And Ara's like, "Uh uh-huh. And he just walks off. So that's it. No fight. What a letdown. I have got blue balls from this confrontation. We had chapters and chapters of them standing in a field talking about how they're going to kill each other, making plans, saying goodbyes, calling dibs on who's going to kill who. And then they just turn around on Nahul's word. They just took Nahul's word for it. Arrow didn't even touch him. Arrow didn't even touch Nahul's skin and get a fact check on any of that. They all just thought, oh, Nahul, he's a stand-up guy. He wouldn't lie to us. And so they're leaving. This is my main problem with Breaking Dawn. It just was a lot of build-up for no payoff. Like narratively, like we should have gotten at least a little bit of fighting. Just a little smidge, but only Arena died. And who gives a fuck about Arena? And like some of them, when the Volturi are walking away, still think it's a trick because they're probably thinking, oh, narratively, this is really disappointing. And Alice goes, guys, guys, seriously, they're not coming back. Everyone can relax. And because she sees the future, everyone's like, oh, all right, well, okay, they're not coming back. I trust Alice. And then Stefan, he's like, oh, geez, he was hoping for a fight just as much as I was. He's like, of all the rotten luck, he's pissed off. And then everyone else is cheering and they're hugging and they're kissing. Garrett and Kate are swinging around, like making love in the air, even though her, her sister did just get murdered in front of her eyes. But it's nice that they're happy. Stefan and Vladimir are spitting on the ground and they just saunter off. They're annoyed. Edward and Bella, they start hugging Renesme, and Bella says, oh, Nessie, 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 and starts calling her Nessie, not just out loud, but also in narration. She refers to her as Nessie now, not Renesme. So she's admitting that it's a dumb fucking name and she's sticking with Nessie. So, hey, we didn't get a confrontation or a satisfying end to that arc, but at least we got some progression with Bella and the naming conventions for that child. There was a payoff through all of the name trauma that we've been through. So they're reuniting with Nessie. They're like, we're never going to leave. We're going to be together forever. And she's like, oh my God, yeah, forever. Because Nahul has just shown us that in 150 years, she'll still be young and we'll all be together. She's like, oh yeah, this is great. Everyone got what they wanted except for Arena. She says, happiness expanded like an explosion inside me. So extreme, so violent that I wasn't sure I'd survive it. All right. So then she says, she lifted her head and kissed Edward with a passion that might possibly set the forest on fire. I wouldn't have noticed. End of chapter. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So then we go to the final chapter, chapter 39, The Happily Ever After. That kind of annoys me too. Like, who ends a book on 39 chapters? Could she not have just... Ah, oh, squeezed out another one to make it a nice round 40. That would have been nice, but no. Okay, chapter 39, The Happier Ever After. And okay, so they're back at the house and Ed was just filling everyone in on the most boring confrontation in the world. And he says, it was a combination of things there at the end, but what it really boiled down to was Bella. So apparently Bella won the conflict for them. This is where she says, Vladimir and Stefan had vanished before we'd stopped celebrating. They were extremely disappointed in the way things had turned out. Same. Then Benjamin and Tia, they also left to go catch up with Amun and Kebi. The nomads lingered around for a little bit, then they ran off. The Amazons were anxious to get home. And Zafrina was like, make sure you come and visit with Nessie. Because, okay, Zafrina and Nessie are now besties. Carlisle complimented Siobhan on her manifestation skills and Siobhan still doesn't believe it. She's like, oh yeah, I know. All right, my wishful thinking. It's a real good talent. Ha 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 ha. And they laugh about that for some reason because that's still hilarious to them. And Siobhan says, well, you know though, like the Volturi won't forgive what happened here. And Edward's like, yeah, I know. They've been seriously shaken. Their confidence is shattered. But yes, I'm sure they'll recover from the blow someday. I imagine they'll try to pick us off separately. And Siobhan's like, well, that's grim. Thanks for lightening the mood with that one, Edward. And she says, well, Alice, could you maybe give us a heads up if, if they try and attack us? And Alice is like, sure will. <laughs> As if we'd ever trust Alice. So then she says the Denali's were the last to leave and Garrett went with them because he and Kate are now going steady. Talk about moving quick. They're, they're like lesbians, they're moving so fast. This nomad who was committed to the nomadic lifestyle Got so turned on by Kate because she zapped him a couple of times. Now he's moving to Denali. Hewlin and Nahul stayed. Carlisle's been chatting to Hewlin lots, just trying to get the blueprint for Renesmee's future, I imagine. And then we pick up again with Edward, now that we've gotten all that context, with him explaining why the Volturi was so rattled. He says, Alice gave Arrow the excuse he needed to get out of the fight. If he hadn't been so terrified of Bella, he probably would have gone ahead with their original plan. Terrified of Bella? Terrified of the person with the mental shield that, that is practically pointless as soon as someone gets close to her. Well, actually, they didn't even need to get close to her to break through her shield. She was protecting everyone on that field on their side. 
All you had to do was run up to like the furthest away wolf that she was protecting, get in under that sphere of influence, and then you'd be under the dome of her shield and you would be able to do whatever the hell you wanted. But no, apparently we're so terrified of Bella of all people. Like, are you telling me Felix couldn't have just jumped on over, ripped her neck off in like three seconds? Get out, get out. And Edward says, you see, the Volturi haven't fought a fair fight in about 2,500 years. And they've never, never fought one where they were at a disadvantage, especially since they gained Jane and Alec. They've only been involved with unopposed slaughterings. He says, you should have seen how we look to them. Usually, Alec cuts off all sense and feeling from the victims while they go through the charade of a council. That way, no one can run when the verdict is given. Okay, which begs the question again, why bother with a council? Why bother with the trial if it's just gonna be like, you're gonna kill everyone anyway? Like, who gives a toss? And he says, but there we were, outnumbering them. We had Zafrina on our side. You were shielding people. Ah, oh, they were shitting their pants. And Amit, he's like, yeah, also, we've got these horse-sived wolves with us. And he like pokes Jacob in the arm and Jacob smiles. So they're best friends now. I, I, who was keeping tabs on the Emmett and Jacob relationship? Apparently it's flourished. Okay, and so then Bella goes, well, it was the wolves that stopped them in the first place. And Jacob's like, yeah, it was. And Edward's like, absolutely. So they're all like in a circle jerk with the wolves now. He says, that was another sight they've never seen. The true children of the moon, oh, the children of the moon, rarely move in packs and they are never much in control of themselves. 16 enormous wolves was a surprise they weren't prepared for. And he says, Caius is actually terrified of werewolves. He almost lost a fight with one a few thousand years ago and never got over it. A few thousand years ago? How old is Caius? And so then Bella's like, what? So there are real werewolves? Like as if she didn't think Jacob was a werewolf until like two hours ago. Edward says, yeah, the full moon thing's real. Silver bullets, nah. That's just another one of those myths to make humans feel like they had a sporting chance. He says, there aren't very many of them left. Caius has had them hunted into near extinction. And Bella's like, and you never mentioned this because, and he says, it never came up. What? It never came up? You've been calling Jacob a werewolf for two years. What do you mean it never came up? There was a whole fight between vampire newborns and werewolves interrupted by a Volturi guard at the end of Eclipse, which no one seems to fucking remember. And it wouldn't have come up that the Volturi hate the children of the moon and would have perceived these wolves to be children of the moon? You don't think that might've been necessary information to maybe bring up Edward? It never came up. Bull fucking shit, Stephanie. It never came up because you just thought of it, Steph. That's bullshit. And then Bella and Alice have a moment. She says, I loved her insanely, of course. But now that I'd had a chance to realize that she was really home, that her defection was only a ruse because Edward had to believe that she'd abandoned us, I was beginning to feel pretty irritated with her. She had some explaining to do. Like, what do you mean? You just explained it. But also, why? Why couldn't she have told Edward? Like, wouldn't it have been better if Edward knew that she was out trying to find other half-breeds? Because then Arrow reading Edward's mind would be like, oh, maybe other half-breeds exist, but no. Apparently that had to be a secret. So then Bella says to Alice, how could you do that to me, Alice? And it's like, uh, because she fucking had to, idiot. And Alice says, it was necessary. And she goes, necessary? You had me totally convinced that we were all going to die. I've been a wreck for weeks. And it's like, oh my goodness. You're the dummy for believing it, doll. Like, oh my goodness. And Alice goes, yeah, well, you could have all died. It might've gone that way. In which case you needed to be prepared to save Nessie. So I did what I had to do. 
And Bella's like, but you knew there were other ways too. You knew there was hope. Did it ever occur to you that you could have told me everything? I know Edward had to think we were at a dead end for Arrow's sake, but you could have told me. I still don't get the for Arrow's sake thing. I guess because, all right. I think the logic is Arrow would never have been baited into making that agreement with Edward about not knowing Renesmee's future if he had known that there was a hint of maybe half-breeds existing out in the world. So I think that's why Edward couldn't have known, but still, I don't know. And so Alice goes, well, Bella, you're not that good of an actress, doll. Yeah, you've got a shield power, but you can't lie for shit. And Bella goes, this was about my acting skills. Like she's really pissed off. Like, doll, Alice just won the fucking war for you. I know Edward thinks it was all you. We should all be thinking you, but like, nah. I think Alice played a pretty big part in it, doll. And Alice says, oh, take it down an octave, Bella. <laughs> She's so funny. Do you have any idea how complicated this was all to set up? She's like, I had to do this. I had to go to Rio. I had to go find little vampire babies that I didn't even know for sure existed. I had to go searching for something I couldn't see because she can't see the half-human hybrids, of course. Wait, no, why can't she see the half-human hybrids? I thought she only couldn't see Renesmee because half of Renesmee was, oh God, I don't know. I'm still not clear on that. Was it because she can see humans because she was a human and she can see vampires because she is a vampire, but she can't see half human, half vampires, even though she was both a human and a vampire? That still doesn't make any sense for me. (laughs) Who cares? She says, yeah, Arrow had to be positive that you had nothing left up your sleeves or he would never have committed to an out the way he did. Oh, okay, yeah, that was all in your master plan, was it, Alice? Sure, doll, sure. And Bella's like, okay, okay, gosh, sorry, sorry. I, I get that it was rough for you too but I missed you, Alice. And she's like, yeah, cool. I missed you too. So then they continue the postmortem about what happened, even though nothing fucking happened. It was just talking in a field. And all while that's happening, Nahul is staring at Bella and staring at Renesmee. She says, the boy never took his eyes off me, or maybe he was looking at Nessie and that made me uncomfortable. She says he couldn't be oblivious to the fact that Nessie was the only female of his kind that wasn't his half sister. Oh, (laughs) I didn't think this idea had occurred to Jacob yet. So she thinks Nahul's gonna want to bang Nessie because they're of the same species. Yeah, although I don't, I I don't know. He can go and bang a human if he wants to. I don't think he has to be dating this child that's in your lap. I don't know why that's your immediate concern, but, uh, but it is. And she's worried that Jacob's gonna get territorial. I mean, that's messed up. So then Bella gets tired, like not sleepy tired, but like just like over it all. And she's like, well, let's go back to the cottage. So her and Edward take Nessie back to the cottage. Jacob's like, yeah, I should probably go visit my dad anyway. Like it's been a while since I slept in a bed. And so Jacob's like, all right, see you later. And he like kisses Nessie on top of the head, kisses Bella on top of the head and then punches Edward's shoulder. So they're all bro-y. No mention of the fact that Edward called him his son. Uh, that doesn't get brought up. They're back to being like more bros than anything. Not a father-son relationship. So that, that's good that we're retconning that. So then Bella's thinking like, oh, it'd be good to put Nessie to bed. She's had so much weight on her tiny shoulders. She says it was time she got to be a child again, protected and secure. And I'm like, yeah, for another couple of years till she's fully grown at seven. And then the idea of peace and security reminded her of someone who didn't have those feelings all of the time, which is Jay Jenks. So now she's worried for Jay Jenks's welfare. And she goes, oh, Jasper, by the way, why is Jay Jenks scared stiff by the sound of your name? And Jasper's like, well, because I intentionally scare him, dum-dum. He says, it's been my experience that some kinds of working relationships are better motivated by fear than by monetary gain. And she doesn't like that. And she thinks, hmm, I'm going to take over the position 
in the family as liaison to Jade Jenks. She's like, I'll take care of that. Poor Jade Jenks. The unsung hero of the bloody Twilight Saga, Jay Jenks. We're caring about Jay Jenks of all people and the happily ever after chapter, we're thinking and worrying about Jay Jenks. So, okay, they say goodnight. They go back to the cottage and Edward says to her when they're alone, he goes, you know what? I'm pretty impressed with Jacob right now. And she's like, oh yeah? And he goes, yeah, like not once today did he think about the fact that according to Nahul, Nessie will be fully matured in just six and a half years. Okay, so he's saying... Jacob's not thinking about fucking the baby. Isn't that great? And she's like, oh, wow, that is good. She's like, that is good. So, okay, just, if anyone's ever been worried about this relationship, don't be. He doesn't see her like that yet. Yet. Yes, he's grooming her currently, but he doesn't see her that way yet. Bella says, yeah, he just wants her to be happy. And he goes, I know. Like I said, impressive. Is it that impressive to just want a baby to not be molested. Like what? Edward's given Jacob all of this kudos for not wanting to think about banging the child. I don't know if that's a congratulatory action, but no, it's apparently impressive. It's apparently impressive. And he says, it goes against the grain to say so, but she could do worse. What? You're already talking about how you're like one week old child could do worse. Oh my goodness. And Bella goes, I'm not going to think about that for approximately six and a half more years. Ha 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 ha. So, okay. Yeah. In six and a half years, they'll be fine with it though. Still feels weird to be openly talking about a seven-year-old getting it on with a fully grown man. I don't know. I still feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Her mind grows quickly and her body also grows quickly, but yeah, I don't know. She's still seven. Uh, Still seven in my book. According to the forged passport from Jay Jenks, she's still young. And Edward goes, yeah, well, Jacob will have some competition to worry about when the time comes. Why are we talking about Nessie's future sex life? What the fuck? And so she's like, yeah, I know. Nahul probably wants to get it on with our child. What? He was staring at Nessie all night. And Edward goes, oh no, he was staring at you. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm used to that. But she's like, but that doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that? And he says, because you're alive. And she goes, you lost me. She's so stupid. She can't figure out how this guy whose mum died giving birth to him might be looking at this person who birthed a child and think, oh, she's alive. She's undead, but she is alive. And so Edward has to explain it to her. He says, yeah, well, all his life, he always thought of himself as an evil creation and a murderer by nature because he killed his mother when he was born. It's shaped his whole perspective. And in some ways he truly hates himself. And then when he saw us for the first time, he realized that just because he's half immortal doesn't mean he's inherently evil. And he looks at me thinking that's what his father should have been. And he looks at you and sees the life his mother should have had. And she's like, oh, poor Nahul. She's like, oh, poor Nahul. We'll have to invite him over for Christmas. We'll have to get him on the Christmas card roster because I feel so bad for Nahul. And Edward says, don't be sad for him. He's happy now. Today, he's finally begun to forgive himself. Although yeah, it does beg the question like, Did he know he was killing her when he came out of her stomach, when he ripped her body apart to be born? Because Renez may seem to know and like actively avoided moving to stop breaking Bella's bones. So I don't know, maybe he is an asshole. So Bella's like, oh, cool. All right, well, don't have to worry about Nahul anymore or Jay Jenks. She's just tying everything into a bow. And she says, tomorrow I'll go and see Charlie. And she says, he would see that the fear in my eyes had been replaced with joy and he would be happy too. I'm like, well, yeah, as long as you keep changing your contacts. Like, no, I don't think he'll be looking at the fear in your eyes. He hasn't noticed your eye color yet. So I doubt he's paying that much attention to your eyes, Bells. And then she goes, suddenly 
Suddenly, I was sure that I wouldn't find him there alone. She says, I hadn't been as observant as I might have been in the last few weeks, but in this moment, it was like I've known all along, Sue would be with Charlie. And it's like, oh my God, I thought it was an open secret that Sue and Charlie were banging. Didn't we know that? Like they, they hosted Christmas together. She's always there at the house. Bella didn't know. She was oblivious all that time that Charlie was banging Sue. She was completely oblivious. She says, I smiled widely at this new insight. New insight? They practically have sat you down and told you, Dal. And so she's like, oh, good. Well, that takes care of Charlie. Charlie will be fine. He won't have to order pizza for dinner when he's watching the big game. Oh, thank God. Someone can cook him a hot meal. All right. Charlie's taken care of. We don't have to worry about Charlie. So they get back to the cottage. She takes that crown jewel necklace off her neck and she just throws it in Renesmee's room. And she's like, she can play with it if she wants to. <laughs> Maybe return it to like the, the English museum in London or something, if it's that priceless, you know, maybe be a benefactor for a museum and maybe return priceless artifacts to the country from whence they came. Like maybe, maybe, but no, it's now a little plaything for Renesmee for the next few years until she becomes a fully grown woman. <laughs> and then they go back to their bedroom because Nessie's asleep. And I guess Edward wants to bang her. And she's like, wait a minute, let me try something first. And so she puts her hands on his face. She closes her eyes in concentration and she pushes her shield out from her own mind so that he can read her mind, which I think is a risky little move because I I do think half of the fascination with Bella for Edward is that he can't hear her thoughts. If he could hear her thoughts, I don't think she'd be as charming or likable or as pleasant she wouldn't seem as smart as she's coming across. Like, I don't think he'd quite like her that much if he read her mind completely. So this was very risky of Bella. She must be very sure in her relationship to open herself up like that because, yeah, I would think he'd read her mind and be like, oh no, she's basic. Like he'll finally realize she's basic, but okay. So she pushes her shield out. He can read her mind and she's like replaying images from her human memories, you know, those horrible human memories that are all fuzzy and indistinct because they were through human eyes. Like you've them in the meadow, them seeing each other and dancing and singing and having sex, all this crap, all these memories are coming back to her. And he's blown away. <laughs> like as if he hasn't read people's minds before. He's blown away. And he's like, oh my God, how did you do that? And she's like, yeah, I practice with Zafrina. So he's clearly never read Zafrina's thoughts when she thinks about how they've practiced. I don't know. Cause it was a surprise to him, whatever. So then he's like, do it again. And so she does it again, but she gets distracted and it snaps back and he's like, damn it. And she goes, well, we have plenty of time to work on it. And he goes, yeah, forever and forever and forever. And she says, that sounds exactly right to me. And then it says, and then we continued blissfully into this small but perfect piece of our forever. And that's the end of the chapter and the book and the saga. That's it. Oh, and then we get the end with all of the metaphorical implications of the end written on a page. But all right, okay. So very disappointing in my opinion, just how that confrontation just fizzled. And then also for a happily ever after chapter. I don't know, I kind of would have liked if we had maybe flash forwarded a little bit to see how things ended up maybe, but no, all right. They just go into the cottage, he reads a mind and then they continue to bang every night for the rest of their lives. Even though we do know the Volturi are probably gonna try and pick them off one by one. That, that threat's just left looming. And yeah, there's so many other things that I just feel were left unresolved. Like whatever happened with Mike Newton? What's he been up to while all this has been going down? What about Jess? What's our gal Jess been doing? But I guess we'll never know. Anyway, that's the end of the book. Have I got it wrong? Did I misinterpret anything? Let me know. 
Head over to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books to get in on the Midnight Sun action. And I'll see you guys next week for Breaking Dawn, the movie part two. So I'll see you then. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 